Central Division Hockey, the podcast, presents a team overview of the 2020-21 season for all eight of the teams that will make up the Central Division in 2021-22. This standalone edition is for the Dallas Stars. A look back at our after-training camp prediction versus how the team did, team milestones, individual award nominees and winners, retirements, hirings, firings, if applicable as well. The team grades for the GM, head coach, and the players by position. Welcome to the 2021 season year-end team podcast for the Dallas Stars, presented by Central Division Hockey, the podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bigelow. We begin with the podcast after training camp prediction, second in the Discover Central Division. The actual regular season results, 60 points, fifth in the Discover Central Division. Postseason, missed the playoffs after making it to the Stanley Cup Finals in 2020. Dallas's long 2020 Stanley Cup playoff run in combination with the 2020-21 season's quick turnaround and a team delayed by a COVID-19 postponement had them complete an already condensed NHL season in an even more squeezed schedule than any other team. The delayed start and a week where a storm in the state of Texas also shut the team down additionally. The team played its last 44 regular season games in an unheard of 78-day stretch. It provided the circumstances with an injury riddled and we'll talk about the impact of the players to the group to underachieving. The other factor was finishing first in the league in overtime shootout losses that had they found a way to split those more evenly with the win column probably would have had made up the point shortage to be playoff bound. That accounts one quarter of the regular season total game played as only collecting one point in 14 games in. They finished four points back in Nashville for the final playoff spot in the Discover Central Division. That's a real thing as to missing the playoffs just cut that number in half and picking up those as wins instead would be seven points. Back to the big name players missing this year including starting goalie Ben Bishop for starters. Defenseman Stephen Johns did not play all year as well. All-star forward Tyler Sagan was in three games played. Alexander Radulov was in 11 games played then shut down for the year. Rope Hintz played hurt and played 41 of the 56 of the forward group top six. The bottom six playoff breakout forward Yol Kiviranta 26 games played. Additionally, Matthias Janmark and Corey Perry, two vet bottom six forwards, left via free agency while the team expected organizational depth to fill the holes, and it's not that those two couldn't have been replaced through organizational depth. The test on the depth was on the combined key players on the list of games lost and out because of long-term injuries. It was skill and experience throughout the lineup. It wasn't all doom and gloom in Dallas. Rookie forward Jason Robertson and goalie Jake Oninger made the most of their opportunities to play as as the two most noteworthy campaigns for rookies, and others also found a way to contribute. Those individual achievements weren't enough to get the team into the postseason, and largely, it was a lack of scoring. When Dallas scored, they scored in bunches and won big. When the games were close, they couldn't buy a goal in the losses. It shouldn't have surprised too many, as that was, if you remember, the big question mark for Dallas as they headed into the playoff bubble round that they quietly made everyone forget was a concern by winning. Dallas 
Stars hockey is arguably built more for the NHL playoff hockey than it is for the regular season. At the end of the day, a team still needs to win enough games to be in the playoffs, and Dallas emptied the collective tank trying to under, and it's fair to say, the most unideal set of circumstances a team could be asked to do it under. That's a good foundation of the conditions into Dallas's season, and while we, as Coach Rick Bonus talked about throughout the year of the next man up approach, this team didn't make excuses, let's be clear. It does hold limitations as not all players are created equal. You really aren't able to simply plug and play elite talent like Sagan, Radulov, and Hintz and Bishop. What is the collective ratio a team's level of play has to be substantially raised to balance the losses into wins with those type of players out? It's not that I don't like the next man up philosophy this NHL season or more accurately I think the playoff bubble in Edmonton I just started to think that there is a threshold of elite talent for any team that once you are overextended by injuries elite cup contending teams become on par with the playoff bubble teams and it's harder to string together win streaks in the National Hockey League. The correlation between a team's health and its happiness in finding success isn't a pass for not competing and that is not the case with this Dallas team. They competed but it's fair in looking at how a team did that too many lengthy key absences in a really competitive league with the condensed schedule. It's a fair way to look at the results and say this was going to be next to the difficult chance of finding success in and Dallas just fell short. To me, a healthy Dallas team makes the playoffs and potentially makes noise this past year again like they did the year prior, but that wasn't possible. It wasn't from a lack of effort from the players that did play. Individual award nominees, Jason Robertson's Calder Trophy Rookie of the Year nomination. Minnesota's Kirill Kaprizov took all the first place votes except for the one that Robertson received. However, Robertson received a 94 of all the second place votes deservedly. I was upset by Minnesota color analyst Ryan Carter's assessment of why Kaprizov should win when Robertson started to get late buzz for the award. His assertion was based on Robertson's line mates being of higher quality, essentially. He cited Joe Pavelski and James. Ben. So here's the facts having watched both play all year, every single game. Kaprizov played top six all year, 55 games played, 27 goals, 51 points, 18-18 average time on ice per game. Robertson, 51 games played, 17 goals, 45 points, 16-53 average time on ice per game. Robertson finished the year playing top six, but there is a breakdown in his player grade that shows he didn't start the season there as well. Now, based on the additional goal production. I don't have any issue with Kaprizov's choice over Robertson. In fact, to me, Kaprizov led all wild forwards in time on ice and finished tops in team scoring. Robertson finished second in team scoring while averaging the fifth time on ice of Dallas forward. What really bugs me about Carter's comments was Robertson was not on a line with Jamie Benn. He primarily played with Hintz and Pavelski once he was promoted up the lineup. That coincides with the injury to Alexander Radulov more accurately. Second, Carter should go and apologize to Minnesota forward Matt Zuccarella, if he hasn't already, who upon his return with an over 2-1 to assist to goal ratio was dynamic as an everyday linemate to Kaprizov. So the narrative of better linemates mostly disrespected that Zuccarello isn't as good a top six forward as Pavelski, who Robertson did play with, or Ben, who Robertson actually didn't play with. That's simply not the case. Kaprizov's success is tied to having Zuccarello as a lineman 
teammate as top six players as Robertson's success was. Had Robertson played all year in the Dallas top six like Kaprizov, so with a minute more time on ice and played four more games, I think the six-point gap between the two is probably more dead even. And the voters would have given the nod to Kaprizov with more goals and that he led his team in goals and points and Minnesota made the playoffs. I would bet, given Robertson is three years younger, his NHL career goal stats exceed Kaprizov's when their careers end in, albeit more NHL games played, for Robertson. Both teams have 30-plus goal-capable players that had outstanding rookie seasons. Retirements defenseman Stefan Johns announced his retirement June 13th at 29 after missing the season due to post-concussion syndrome. He missed most of the 2019-20 season as well and played one game of the 2020 playoff run versus Calgary before missing the rest of Dallas's playoff run. In 167 NHL games played, he had 15 goals, 18 assists, all with Dallas, drafted 60th overall in 2010 by Chicago. He was traded with Patrick Sharp to Dallas for defenseman Trevor Daly and forward Ryan Garbutt in 2015. Johns was a finalist for the Masterson Trophy in 2019-20, awarded to the player who best exemplifies perseverance, sportsmanship, and dedication to the game. In an effort to raise mental health awareness, including depression, when announcing his retirement via Instagram, Johns announced his plans to rollerblade and road trip across the U.S. that he did over 23 days while documenting his journey and share his story while raising funds. You can find out more on this on NHL.com slash stars or Johns Twitter and Instagram accounts. The hashtag is hashtag mental miles and funds are being raised through the Dallas Stars Foundation and Mental Health America if you want to donate or learn more. You're listening to Central Division Hockey, the podcast, and our year-end focus podcast for Dallas. When we return, the first team grades for the 2020-21 season for Dallas. How would you like to come home to a bartender who will fix you any cocktail you want? I'll have an old-fashioned. I'll have a margarita. Now you can with the Bartesian Home Cocktail Maker. Bartesian is a sleek machine the size of a coffee maker that makes premium cocktails at the touch of a button. Choose from over 50 different cocktails, from classics to the most exotic premium cocktails served in the best bars today. You'll always get freshly mixed, perfectly balanced cocktails with the Bartesian Cocktail Maker. And now get Bartesian's best Black Friday deal ever at bartesian.com holiday. Entertaining? The Bartesian is ideal for parties. No need to stock all kinds of individual mixers for complicated recipes. Every guest gets the cocktail of their choice in seconds. The Bartesian makes a wonderful gift for anyone who loves a fine premium cocktail. Now get Bartesian's best Black Friday deal ever. It's available right now, only at bartesian.com slash holiday. That's B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N dot com slash holiday for Bartesian's best deal ever. Only at bartesian.com slash holiday. Tired of long waits and rushed care at the ER and urgent care clinic? Next time, stay home and let Dispatch Health bring the power of the hospital to you. I call Dispatch Health. A care team of medical professionals actually come to your house. They're the same caliber of people that you would see if you were at a hospital or an urgent care. Dispatch Health can treat most non-life-threatening emergencies. They can do the x-rays, they can do stitches. Urinary tract infections, blood tests, urinalysis, ultrasound. It's almost everything that they can do at the ER. You never feel rushed. They're there for you and only you. I felt like their only patient. And it costs no more than a trip to urgent care because Dispatch Health is covered by most insurance, including Medicare. See if we serve your home 
at DispatchHealth.com. Dispatch Health really went above and beyond. It's wonderful to have care come to your home. House calls are back, and they're better than ever. Learn more at DispatchHealth.com. Welcome back to Central Division Hockey, the podcast and our 2020-21 year-end focus podcast for Dallas. For each of the eight teams that will make up the Central Division in 2021-22, we look back at the GM, coach, and players and give them a ranking for last season. It's what we call the team grades. About the formula, the GM and coach grades are at 100%. The goaltending is as well for the team. In Dallas's case, they used two goalies. It was weighted by the game played split between the two. The defense group mark gives a lot of added weight to Dallas's top four. They all played 20 plus minutes a game. And I feel it best reflects time on ice usage. Seven defensemen are graded. Defensemen five through seven depth-wise are the bottom pair combined for the final defense grade. Keep in mind, teams use six defensemen most often. Dallas was a 12 forward 6d set primarily like most nhl teams the forward grade weren't as top six weighted heavy as some other teams no one in dallas's forward group played over 19 minutes average time on ice per game likewise lines two and three were a lot closer in time on ice dallas simply spread the forward minutes more evenly through their lineup a couple of graded bottom six players played under 10 minutes in limited game played however most were in the 12 and a half to 16 minute mark in average time on ice in the bottom six group. I still weighted a higher ratio for the top six than the bottom six for the final forward grade, but it's not as high as other teams by comparison. GM Jim Nill. My hindsight, based on my post-training camp prediction, even with the delay to Dallas's season start, didn't lower the expectations. To do so after is really how it would feel for Nill and Fairness as well. The constructed roster kind of just didn't play. For the most part, Nil brought back essentially the team that went to the finals. He was good in goal, I felt, even with Bishop injured, largely because he re-signed goalie Anton Hudobin on a three-year deal. The D group returned as well, although Stephen John spent the year, unfortunately, on IR. Still, he added low-cost depth D-man in Mark Pysik and re-signed Andre Sekera. More importantly, he grabbed veteran D-man Sammy Vatnin off the waiver wire at the deadline additionally, and that caused cost no picks or prospects to do. He knew Tyler Sagan would miss a lot of the season. He didn't know Alexander Radulov would too. However, I didn't know the groin issues of Rope Hints, but I do wonder when that was clear and Radulov, when he also went down, whether Neil was inclined to at least try to get some additional top six help for Dallas. I don't know what the cost of doing that and the availability for trade for that possibility. The results after the season make it easy to say something that could have been done if it were possible. Just not sure if it was. What isn't known is the actual timelines as well to make those choices. I had modeled Yol Kiviranta as taking Matthias Janmark's spot on the third line. Injuries also affected that possibility. Corey Perry, I thought, was worth retaining, but I didn't consider it the difference between Dallas being a playoff team or not. If, for example, I knew Kiviranta was less probable, an everyday player option, and that might not be the case, but I think I would have tried to find a top nine comparable forward, such as maybe Eric Halla, or like available free agent that Nashville grabbed, or at least added a vet fourth low-cost fourth liner if I were Dallas's GM. Again, I can say all this now, but if the injuries weren't expected to be as long-term as they ended up being, there 
there's absolutely nothing to criticize with the personnel that in a shortened schedule that undermanned ended up coming up short on being a playoff team. From a forward group standpoint, and Nil is someone I would say is steady, not reactionary, but most valued for his long-term way of developing his roster, and that's a good quality for an organization's long-term success. The only question is, as the players' game lost injury piled up as the season progressed, what was the earliest sign that a couple of low-cost NHL regulars possibly helping this forward group get into the playoffs versus the cost of actually doing it? Because in this case, standing pat left Dallas outside looking in and they were even with the most condensed schedule really close a move to me at least would have shown Nil was willing even if it hadn't worked you at least would know he tried to instead of being left to speculate on its possibility keep in mind I'm saying once Johns Bishop and the moment Radulov are all on the long-term injury reserve even keeping space for Sagan's expected return would have created cap space to attempt some something more short-term for a group up against it while battling 60 out of 100 head coach rick bonus in his first albeit shortened season at the helm firstly needed to be praised for having as a coach the most challenging schedule of any team to try and make the playoffs under with his group that competed undermanned with key long-term injury reserve players out and quite honestly best described as a let's see who is available to play and to go for a lineup model all year all while not making excuses. After making it to the Stanley Cup final in the 2020 playoff bubble, you would expect he and the organization would be disappointed with missing the playoffs the following season. But again, it's a lot more about the schedule than the compete of this group. You can also critique bonus, would really have to nitpick through this roster to find a way to. It's to say, if you're doing that, then you probably shouldn't be placing blame on the coach. Without his true starting goalie, the team had, for the most part, quality goaltending, a solid top four D group and a capable D group overall. Finding offense collectively, whether the second line or bottom six, was an issue. That's why in those 14 overtime shootout loss games especially, Dallas just didn't pull through with enough of them for the points. However, bonus, based on the bottom six, had eight players at over 20 games played in the ninth who got into 12 games played. If I remember correctly, they went a long time of the season not being able to dress the same lineup in consecutive games simply because of injuries. It's to say Bonus did his best to give players the opportunity to succeed. Rookie Jason Robertson was the lone unexpected standout of the forward group. It doesn't replace two all-star players from a team's top six, and other than Joe Pavelski and half-injured Rope Hints, well, collectively the group underachieved, but it was not from a lack of getting an opportunity in key absences and spots made available from departures. That is especially true for the bottom six in Dallas this year. I almost feel bad giving bonus a grade. I do know I look forward to a normal schedule and a more healthy lineup, what Dallas as a team will look like. My guess is it's closer to a cup contender than an on-the-bubble playoff team. 72 out of 100. Long-term injury reserve. In addition to Stephen Johns, who at the end of the season announced his retirement that I spoke about earlier in the podcast, Dallas was without goalie Ben Bishop for the season. Bishop was expected to miss five months, like forward Tyler Sagan. Bishop had knee surgery in October of last year. Sagan had right hip surgery in early November. Sagan returned to play three regular season games. However, in mid-April, the team announced that Bishop and Alexander Radulov would be shut down for the remainder of the regular season. Radulov 
Cincinnati loss saw 11 games played. Bishop was out the entire campaign, but was needing more time to rehab on his knee. Not just because of the number of players Dallas had on long-term injured reserve this past season, it's the all-star caliber of the players we are talking about that to me highlights the challenges of having players to step up to essentially replace players you essentially can't in net, on D, and in the top six. Goal, Anton Hudobin, 254 goals against average, a 905 save percentage, 32 games played, 12, 11, and 7 record, 3 shutouts, 75 goals against. For Doby, there is a dip in his stats with the prior year and a similar amount of games played, 32 for this year, 30 regular season prior. However, he was primarily the backup in 2019-20 and the 2021 condensed campaign, he was a starter with Bishop out. Still, the drop in goals against average from career high of a 2.22 to a 2.54 and a save percentage from 930 to 905 remained overall above the league average. His win-loss record wasn't as good and that more than the stats lends to the reality there was inconsistencies this past year in his game. 72 out of 100. Jake Ottinger a 2.36 goals against average a 911 save percentage 24 games played 1187 record. One shutout 63 goals against. Rookie Ottinger played less but the closeness to split duty with Hudobin wasn't far off. His goals against average was better last year than it was the year prior playing for Texas in the American Hockey League. That's impressive. His save percentage was also a touch better than Doby's in less games played. At 22, Ottinger is still in development, yet he looks capable at the NHL level. Like Doby, they had just an enormously high overtime shootout loss records, seven each. It also might suggest correctly that the goal scoring is more responsible, not simply the goalies as to the reason why. 75 out of 100. Overall, 73.3 out of 100 weighted. The pair of Hudobin and Ottinger in the absence of Bishop were, for the most part, providing better than average goaltending most nights for Dallas. In fact, I recall looking at the goalie stats expecting them to be worse because of the team's win-loss record, and it simply wasn't the case. The team just couldn't get the goals in close games to win them, and the condensed workload did see a drop-off in Doby's consistency at times. It's not the reason Dallas missed the postseason, even without their starting goalie Bishop. That says the goalie depth for Dallas is in a lot better spot than most NHL teams. Defense, Merrill Haskin in 24-58, average time on ice, 55 games played, 8 goals, 19 assists, 27 points, 52 block shots, a plus-minus-minus-9. At 21, Haskin in his according stone of the Dallas defense group, he put up the same goal production as the year prior in the regular season. In fairness, during the postseason finals run, he was better. That's a good thing. There is an elevation to his playoff game. His regular season point total was down, but it wouldn't have been playing the same number of games. 27 points in 55 games played versus 32 points in 68 games played isn't a drop-off. His point-per-game production is actually slightly up for this past regular season. Haskinen isn't in his prime years, but he is playing top minutes. His defensive game play is most likely where that development area most improves. That said, his offense from the defense value already is in place. 82 out of 100. Esselindel, 23-11. Average time on ice per game, 56 games 
games played, 5 goals, 11 assists, 16 points, 104 block shots, a plus 11, plus minus. As underappreciated defensive D-men in the NHL go, there aren't too many ranked higher than Lindell. Dallas fans appreciate him, but I'm sure he still flies under the radar league-wide. Noteworthy was his block shot total that at 104 was close to double the other Dallas top four defensemen individually, with the exception of Oleksiak, who was still a distant second. He added more goals, Lindell did, than the prior regular season, but he also had seven less points in 16 less games played. Simply, there wasn't a drop-off. He was the only double-digit plus-minus top four Dallas defenseman, and second only to Sakara at plus 12 by plus one at plus 11 plus minus. Thing is, Lindell played an average of seven minutes more per game. The positive team impact is larger because of his average time on ice, 77 out of 100. John Klingberg, 22 minutes, 42 seconds, average ice time, 53 games played, seven goals, 29 assists, 36 points, 52 block shots, a plus minus minus 15. It's Klingberg, not Haskinen, that leads the Dallas D group in points this past season. Point production, that was better than the regular season before in five fewer games played. He also had a bit over 30 seconds in average time on ice more. It's consistency. His plus minus was a drawback. He was tied for first with the worst on the team. Part of the Klingberg and Haskinen low stat in that regard is that while offensively the two best Dallas D options paired together, they aren't the best defensive option. There is just too much similarity in both D men's strengths and weaknesses. At 28, Klingberg is in his prime and his contract is, to me, fair value. He is a top four NHL defenseman that has puck moving ability and offensive upside that are not easy to come by. And Dallas has two with Klinberg and Haskinen that fill those check boxes. 82 out of 100. Jamie Oleksiak, 20 minutes, 29 seconds average time on ice, 56 games played, six goals, eight assists, 14 points, 88 block shots, plus minus minus three. Oleksiak completes a true top four this year for Dallas, the fourth of the group, all over 20 minutes average time on ice per game, 13 seconds shy of adding five minutes from the regular season prior. With it, Oleksiak doubled his goal production and had more points in 13 less games played this past shortened season. His size is an asset, but he also continues to show the ability to add his offensive attributes. He's not young, but he is in his prime. But at 6'7", you could say those taller demon take longer to reach full development. Zdeno Chara, of course, being the most offsided example of taller defensemen. Overall, Oleksiak had a good balanced two-way game. 72 out of 100. Andre Sekera, 15 minutes, 38 seconds average time on ice. 46 games played, 3 goals, 2 assists, 5 points, 62 block shots, a plus-minus, plus 12. Sekera's value didn't diminish even though he did see less average time on ice. 2 minutes, 20 seconds approximately between last season and the year before. He did lead the D group in plus-minus as mentioned earlier and added comparable point production and was defensively sound. His contract is good for a bottom pair guy that can still give more than limited quality bottom pair minutes for the team that is an asset to have reliable and low risk and Sakira provided that 66 out of 100 Joel Hanley 13 minutes one second average time on ice 35 games played eight assists eight 
points, 30 block shots, a plus minus plus six. Hanley did see more limited bottom pair minutes this year. He was also reliable, very low cost, and absolutely a decent part-time or seventh vet D-man given he is 30 years old. You can shelter those minutes when you have the top four pairings Dallas has. For me, since Hanley's play is in the playoff bubble, he seemed like a really good bottom pair option over, say, Taylor Fadoon. By comparison, and Coach Bonus must have concurred with my assessment because we saw Hanley. This past season is really the example of how Hanley can best be used. 58 out of 100. Mark Pysik, 11 minutes, 43 seconds average time on ice, 36 games played, 3 goals, 1 assist, 4 points, 16 block shots, plus minus plus 6. Pysik, who can also play forward, did have time where he did exactly that, and that would affect his average time on ice being lower. It's higher when you're a defenseman. But as a bottom pair defenseman, he will play more than a fourth line winger. Something to keep in mind when looking at that metric of average time on ice. It's also a toss-up positionally as to where he was better suited having joined Dallas in the offseason. He really is a seventh D-man or 13th forward who comes in and plays mostly good from a defensive standpoint and gets a rare point for the team at good time, but not a lot of the time. 52 out of 100. Overall, 73.4 out of 100 awaited. By comparison to a lot of other teams, Dallas D Group was more set in its personnel than most. A clear top four with four guys all over 20 plus minutes. A clear fifth D man logging under 16 minutes and the other two more low minutes that allowed for Haskinen to play more time on ice average per game as the team leader. Dallas's defense and goalies really had their goals allowed in with the whole group of the discovered Central Division teams that were playoff bound their goal differential was plus two better than Nashville who did make the playoffs in fact therefore well like the goaltending the defense to me isn't the reason for missing the playoffs I do wonder with a less condensed schedule if it wouldn't have been better because of the ability to be better rested between games ungraded defensive death Sammy Vatanen 17 minutes one second average time on ice nine games played no points 12 block shots a plus minus plus one nhl totals 39 games paid two goals four assists six points 49 block shots plus three plus minus for the year that includes both dallas and new jersey grabbing vatanen off of waivers around the deadline was hardly an actual deadline deal to bolster depth but it did have the effect his time on ice is for the year i will add and he played more minutes average in new jersey where the bulk of his games played were he is ungraded because of his nine games played with dallas was too small a sample size it was a nice depth move without costing assets but it didn't move the needle to bring up the defense group play enough to get this team playoff bound either it wasn't expected to in fairness as well forward top six joe pavelski 19 minutes one second time on ice average 56 games played 25 goals 26 assists 51 points a plus minus plus 22 13 power play goals at 37 to say power play pavelski picked up where he left off in the postseason after his regular season slow start the year prior he added 20 points in less games played including 25 goals that's just shy of the top 10 for the league last year and was near the league leaders in 
power play goals. He played top time on ice, adding just over two minutes time on ice average per game between this past regular season and the one prior. Although he missed being a point per game player, he was of Dallas regulars, over 45 games played closest to it. He also was the team plus minus leader at plus 22. That's plus nine better than the group of players behind him. Keep in mind, he did it while playing under 20 minutes per game, closer to 19 minutes per, more accurately. 85 out of 100. Jason Robertson, 16 minutes, 53 seconds, average time on ice, 51 games played, 17 goals, 28 assists, 45 points, a plus minus, plus 13. Rookie Calder Trophy nominated standout Robertson found a spot in the Dallas top six and didn't look back. He finished second on the team in goals and assists and points. He still flew under the radar, even as a 25 goal scorer for the Texas Stars the previous year prior to his stellar NHL rookie campaign. He's 21. He hasn't fully developed, yet his game reminds me of Winnipeg's Kyle Connor, and to me that's saying Dallas is looking at a player who can be scoring 30-plus goals in his prime years. He also wasn't putting up the 17 he had at the expense of defensive play either. He was 7 seconds shy of 17 minutes average time on ice to be close to a 20-goal scorer in the shortened season. The time on ice increased. Keep in mind, 12 of his first 15 games played were 15 minutes or less average time on ice per game. Only one game the rest of the season, it was under 15 minutes. 79 out of 100. Rope Hints, 18 minutes, 14 seconds average time on ice, 41 games played, 15 goals, 28 assists, 43 points, a plus minus plus 13. There wasn't a more offensively dynamic player for Dallas than Hints when it came to the highlight reel. The reality is he missed 15 games played because of a lingering groin injury and pretty much played hurt most of the games he was in the lineup. He's the only Dallas star with point per game production playing over 40 games played, 15 goals, 43 points in 41 games played. He had an increase of three and a half minutes average time on ice from the regular season prior and his point production increase reflects it positively. 10 points more by comparison and 19 less games played. Getting him healthy to be an everyday player for this Dallas team is the biggest thing going forward. His being third in goals on the team missing that many games played was good for hints but highlights the team's lack of goal production all in all. 81 out of 100. Jamie Benn 17 minutes 47 seconds average time on ice 52 games played 11 goals 24 assists 35 points a plus minus plus 13 there was a minute less time on ice average this past regular season from the season prior for ben and while ben's goal production per game dropped slightly his point production increased at 56.1 percent face-off win percentage he also led the team and he did see more time back at center than at the wing a team needing goal scoring i would want my high price captain to be delivering it more often but it's his cap hit not his compete that is really what is the drawback Ben usually, although there were a couple of 30-plus goal seasons, usually has more assists. Typically, his goals and assists are more even, like in 2019-20. This past season, it was over a 2-to-1 assist-to-goal production. With the team's top six injuries, he needed to score more goals. 72 out of 100. Dennis Guriana, 15 minutes, 51 seconds average time on ice. 55 games played, 12 goals, 18 assists, 30 points. Plus minus zero. 
Gurionov had a long goal stretch as well in the middle of the past season that he absolutely wore on his sleeve. He also had a three-minute average time on ice bump after a 20-goal campaign in 2019-20. His assists went up, and in fact, at 30 points in 55 games played, that increased from 29 points in 64 games played. Just after being the team's leading goal scorer, he was fourth. I'd expect he will be back to 20-plus because he is a shooter and at 24 entering his prime. This year, however, Gurionov was essential to Dallas's top six scoring for the first time, and he, like Ben overall, didn't play bad, but needed to score more goals, even given the time on ice he had, 66 out of 100. Radic Facts says 17 minutes, 26 seconds, average time on ice, 55 games played, 6 goals, 8 assists, 14 points, a plus minus minus 15. First thing is I don't consider Fasca a player Dallas expects to get goal production from. His career high was 17 in 2017-18. However, his average time on ice went up a minute and a half, but his goal production was nearly half last year's at 6 goals in 55 games, compared with 11 goals in 66 games played the regular season prior. He had a career career worst and tied for a team worst plus minus at minus 15 and that with limited point production for a top six time on ice player is well a bad combination truthfully i'm not sure these stats would be good for a third liner and his salary now would be at the high point for a top nine he didn't inspire in the elevated top six role 55 out of 100 Overall, 73 out of 100, with the emergence of Robertson and Pavelski's solid play and hints, if only he could have been fully healthy as well, you really can appreciate Dallas missing Sagan and Radulov to the team's top six. In fact, then the ability to have the underperforming goal production of Ben Gurionov and especially Fasca could have been sheltered and less relied upon as being essential to the team's success. Sagan and Radulov playing more than 14 games combined would have absolutely helped Dallas score more goals. That's the good news, provided the Dallas group does come back in better health shape-wise next year. What it didn't do, even with a rookie standout and a great season by Pavelski, is have enough firepower to give the team a postseason berth. Did the condensed schedule play into it? To an extent, that wasn't helpful, but two and a half top in producing players in a top six doesn't get a team playoff bound even with decent defense and goaltending in the NHL. Bottom six, Jason Dickinson, 16 minutes, 12 seconds. Average time on ice, 51 games played, seven goals, eight assists, 15 points, a plus minus minus two. Dickinson increased his average time on ice over a minute this past regular season. It didn't lead to additional point production. His 15 points in 51 games played, slightly less per game than his 2019-20, 21 points in 65 games played, while he improved 2% in the face-off win percentage. He is a guy who hasn't developed his offense to full potential yet and he is now in his prime i keep hoping to see a point increase breakout from dickinson but it just hasn't happened at the nhl level compared to his junior stats that suggest he is capable of more this season given the time on ice he had getting two double digit goal production would have helped the team out a lot 62 out of 100 Blake Como, 15 minutes, 44 seconds, average time on ice, 51 games played, 4 goals, 10 assists, 14 points, plus minus minus 13. Como is largely valued for his defense contribution as a top 9 player for Dallas. His stats this past year mirror the year prior in points, but with half the goals in only 4 less games played. His minus 13 plus minus was also among Dallas's team worst, while playing approximately 45 seconds more, average time on ice. He is part of the bottom 6 group that didn't provide secondary 
secondary scoring and were average at best defensively. And if the team had had more available bodies, Como would have been playing probably fourth line minutes, not third line. But as a vet, he did play up the lineup comparative to his third line salary. 56 out of 100. Andrew Cogliano, 13 minutes, 56 seconds, average time on ice, 54 games played, 5 goals, 6 assists, 11 points, plus minus, minus 8. Dallas didn't see the FCC line as often with Faxa playing up the lineup. Cogliano, like Como, had a handful of goals while playing just under a minute and a half more time on ice per game. When the trio did play together, they weren't as impactful defensively either. Cogliano, just a year younger, 34, then Como, were vets that had the time on ice to be more impactful than they were. It's the same narrative essentially repeated for both players or the FCC line as a shutdown line playing together. Each of them weren't as good individually or as effective as a complete line. 54 out of 100. Yoel Kiviranta, 12-10 average time on ice. 26 games played, 6 goals, 5 assists, 11 points, a plus minus plus 3. Kiviranta's emergence in the 2020 playoff run is a reason I thought Dallas was good to move on from Matthias Janmark. Trouble was, Kiviranta suited up in less than half the regular season due to injuries. When he did play, it was limited time on ice. Kiviranta still scored more goals than Cogliano Como, who played twice as many games. It's injury that prevented him from having a breakout impact season. Dallas needed someone in addition to Robertson to have one. At 25, Kiviranta, as a playing regular, would have helped Dallas this past year. 65 out of 100. Tanner Kiro, 10 minutes, 36 seconds, average time on ice, 39 games played, 3 goals, 7 assists, 10 points, plus minus 0. So far in his career, Kiro has bounced between the American Hockey League and the NHL over the last 6 seasons. At 28, he really is a fourth line and organizational depth player still with limited expectation to add goal production. And at 39 game played last year, he is a prime example of how the injuries saw him be closer to an NHL regular. Kiro, while he can play that fourth line role, and needing him to do so, so much meant less bottom six offense that Dallas needed from this group. 48 out of 100. Tied to Landria, 12 minutes, 29 seconds average. Time on ice, 26 games played, 3 goals, 2 assists, 5 points, plus minus 0. Delandria is still a prospect at 20. He is a first round, 13th overall pick, 2018. For his development, he needs to be playing top line American Hockey League minutes, not fourth line NHL minutes, but he of Dallas's available options with the injuries did get the opportunity to see action in 26 games played. Given Como and Cogliano seasons, Delandria Andrea maybe should have had more time on ice per game at the NHL because based on his junior stats, he has the most potential of Dallas's options to add offense this past year. To me, it felt he wasn't put in the spot to do that often enough this past year. He will be a regular NHL player, just not sure the development curve timeline to him arriving and fully having impact. 55 out of 100. Justin Dowling, 11 minutes, 4 seconds average time on ice, 27 games played, 1 goal, 4 assists, 5 points, plus minus minus 4. Two less games played this past year than the regular season prior, and he was only in two games played in Dallas's playoff run in 2020. The best descriptor is he is the 13th forward who plays center and a nice vet to have. At 30, he spent the year on the roster of the team's taxi squad, and it tells you, given Dallas's list of injuries, the team wanted more from Dowling in the 11-minute fourth-line role Dowling had been providing when he did play. He had three goals in 2019-20 in 29 games played. He had 
one goal in 27 games played this past year. A team needing more goals throughout the lineup needed more from him, and that just isn't something Dowling has done at the NHL level. He also wasn't an everyday regular with all the Dallas injuries, and that's on him missing an opportunity to be one. 49 out of 100. Rhett Gardner, 958 average time on ice. One goal, one assist, two points, plus minus minus nine. Gardner played one more game than Dowling. At 25, he's entering his prime. He did average over a minute less time on ice per game. In saying Dallas needed more from Dowling, Gardner had as few goals, less points, and wasn't as good defensively as Dowling comparatively of the two. He also wasn't able to showcase himself and contribute more when given the opportunity, as was all too common theme from the bottom six group. Production-wise, is Gardner going to develop into a bottom six NHL regular? It's possible, but he hasn't shown enough yet to count on it. 45 out of 100. Nick Camano, 9 minutes, 21 seconds average time on ice, 24 games played, 1 assist, 1 point, plus minus, minus 7. While not a top prospect like DeLandres, Camano is still on his development path. He's only 22. His average time on ice is the lowest of the forwards who played this past year, and he was adequate. Another player given an opportunity to impact Dallas more positively than he was able to do would be the best way to describe his time with the big club. He certainly needs to develop further to be an everyday NHL player, and I actually think he may be more of a top nine caliber potential than simply a fourth liner. However, he he definitely isn't there yet, 47 out of 100. Overall, 55.3 out of 100 weighted. When you look at the individuals as a collective, the theme is clearly limited to no secondary scoring. There also wasn't as good defensive game from the bottom six group this past year to go with it. It certainly wasn't from coach bonus giving players the opportunities, although I still maintain Delandria, I would have liked to see more time on ice average per game. Truth is, the vets in the bottom six group under achieved the only in your prime player dickinson hasn't provided offense as the best player in this group as his lone drawback the others are in development or not ready to be everyday nhlers it put more pressure on an already depleted top six to generate offense because the production drop off was real in dallas and while Corey perry was primarily a playoff guy his still being in dallas probably would have been an improvement to this group even in the regular season as well ungraded forward depth alexander radulov 17 minutes 47 seconds 11 games played four goals eight assists 12 points a plus minus plus nine hints was a point per game player missing 19 games played radulov was a point per game player who was only able to play 11 games played this is part of the top six offense that dallas simply couldn't replace even collectively and while you can say one player doesn't change a team's fortune dallas missed the playoffs by five points radulov and sagan playing in way more games i think does improve the team's expected wins by more than dallas missed the playoffs by tyler sagan 17 minutes four seconds average time on ice three games played two goals two points plus minus zero sagan came back as dallas's playoffs hopes hung in the balance and he did contribute but the team was too far back to catch nashville and after the team was eliminated sagan didn't play out the remaining games so while sagan had recovered enough to come back and help he probably wasn't fully ready joel lesperance 9 25 average time on ice 12 games played two goals two points plus minus minus two 
Les Prince added 12 more NHL level games played to his career 33 total this past year. He added two goals, and that's more than some bottom six graded players in twice as many games had. His AHL stats are a 25-goal season in 2019-20 after a 30-goal season the year before that. At 25, he has at least scored at the American Hockey League level that he deserved the NHL look. Forward group overall. 65 out of 100 weighted, missing one of Sagan and Radulov and Dallas is closer to a playoff team, missing both of them almost the whole season. Both wasn't plug and play next man up replaceable because they are elite all-star NHL players. Robertson's rookie season helped, but the collective scoring through the lineup wasn't there to the level it needed to be, and that ultimately was the deciding factor for Dallas. Was part of that the sheer volume of games played in a condensed time frame? Yes. The key players missing absolutely factor in two, but of the available personnel that did play, had they all been able to contribute more goal production, Dallas could still have been a playoff-bound team. They weren't that far off even under the least ideal condensed schedule they were dealt. I will add, there wasn't a 20 plus minute player so the overall group reflects more evenly through the lineup than other teams for the overall forward grade it was a slight bump time on ice ratio for the top six to reflect more balance in the forward group time on ice overall overall team player grade 70.6 out of 100 final thoughts dallas is the third team of the eight 2020 21 season reviews for the teams that make up the nhl central division that arizona joins this season i will continue the season reviews next with st louis in addition to the team focused year end podcast, there will be a complimentary team focused podcast, the Free Agency Dallas Team Podcast. Each team in the Central Division will have one that looks of the players we just graded who are unrestricted free agents, restricted free agents, or potentially traded if they haven't been before we even get to free agency. You have to think of the year end podcast as roster looks at the year that was the basis for Central Division hockey, the podcast opinions for each team, for the expansion draft, the NHL draft and free agency are based to follow off the team reviews for each one. I will build off from that point. That's why while trades have occurred for some teams, including Dallas, that will be included in the next podcast for each team. Those are essentially the start of next year's changes already in progress. Remember, this podcast goes in depth for eight teams, not one. you like to come home to a bartender who will fix you any cocktail you want i'll have an old-fashioned i'll have a margarita now you can with the bartesian home cocktail maker bartesian is a sleek machine the size of a coffee maker that makes premium cocktails at the touch of a button choose from over 50 different cocktails from classics to the most exotic premium cocktails served in the best bars today you'll always get freshly mixed perfectly balanced cocktails with the bartesian cocktail maker and now get bartesian's best black friday deal ever at bartesian.com holiday entertaining 
The Bartesian is ideal for parties. No need to stock all kinds of individual mixers for complicated recipes. Every guest gets the cocktail of their choice in seconds. The Bartesian makes a wonderful gift for anyone who loves a fine premium cocktail. Now get Bartesian's best Black Friday deal ever. It's available right now. Only at Bartesian.com slash holiday. That's B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com slash holiday for Bartesian's best deal ever. Only at Bartesian.com slash holiday. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.